Good evening to everybody. This is our first Sunday night back in the building where we're not doing a series of videos and uh, I'm, where I'm actually going to be bringing some lessons or doing some teaching from a lectern. And uh, what, I, what I have planned, and we're going to try to keep it pretty much within the time frame we've been using on Sunday nights since we got back into the building a, a few months ago on Sunday nights. We had been back in the building for all of our other services for quite a while, but um, we just began the Sunday evening services back in the building, I think, well, back last spring sometime. And so um, we're going to try to keep the time frame down pretty, pretty close to where we have been. And what my plan is, and I've been working this around in my mind for some years now, I'd like to do a series that I, that I believe really can be a faith-building series on the flood. And I'm going to be using, uh, my plan is to use a lot of slides that uh, are pictures that I took when my wife and I and North and Marianne toured, North and Marianne over there, toured the ark a number of years ago. We spent, uh, spent a day basically in the ark and uh, over in Kentucky. And, and I found that just tremendously faith building and I wanted to share a lot of that information with you. But by way of introduction today, not going to use any of those slides right now and uh, going to try to, to start to build that, that part of the presentation this week and get ready to start showing that this coming Sunday night, next Sunday night, a week from tonight. What I wanted to do to introduce that line of study is to begin with a study that, I've, that, that I'm, I'm entitling, And God Said, And God Said. I want to talk about the power of God's word. When God says something, we can hang our hats on it because not only is God always truthful in what he says, but God's word is powerful. When we look at Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, and we look at the, well, I want to begin with chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Familiar verse of scripture. The Hebrews writer wrote, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We could kind of boil that down and say, well, God's word is powerful to change lives, but in in. in for those who focus on the power of God's word, the truth of God's word. But notice how it's put there, the word of God is living and powerful, powerful. When we think of Romans chapter 1 in verse 16, the apostle Paul wrote, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek. We think of God as being a God who is all-powerful. And there are a number of scriptures that state that 
exactly in very definite terms. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 37, we read that nothing is impossible for God. So he is all-powerful. Now, when we realize that God is all-powerful, then we need to understand that that power comes through his word as it is communicated to us in Scripture. God's word is powerful, powerful to change lives. Now, why would I use this as an introduction to a somewhat extensive study on the flood? Well, if we look at Hebrews chapter 1, we look at verses 10 through 12, the text says, And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up, and they will be changed but you are the same, and your years will not fail. So even when the writer is talking about and, and, and voicing that truth that God created the heavens and the earth, all of the universe, everything we see around us, the writer goes on and says, but one day, somewhere down time, they'll all come to an end. But you, God, you will go on because you're eternal. They're going to get old, they're going to, going to uh, grow old like a garment, and you'll fold them up, but you will always be. God created everything that we see around us. When we look at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3, the Hebrews writer says again, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed, notice this, the worlds were framed by the word of God. What an interesting statement. Now, what again did I, did I choose to title this particular study? And God said. The worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. We think about building something or manufacturing something Putting it together, we're looking for elements that we can find all around us. Now, sometimes those are minerals. Sometimes they're just different parts we can, we can order from some manufacturing company. Or sometimes maybe it's something that we can, on a more, uh, on a more basic level, go down, cut down a tree and fashion some lumber from it and build a structure. But the Hebrews writer says, when we look at the world around us, the universe... They were framed by the word of God. And the things which are seen, which we can, we can uh, look at through telescopes or just through our naked eyes, were made of things which are not visible. Not visible. I want us to turn to Genesis chapter 1. And when we talk about the power of the word of God, if God says it again, not only is it truthful, but the power of God is within that, those statements. I don't know if you've stopped and thought about how many times in Genesis chapter 1, and of course we know that's the creation account, from beginning to ending. Now Genesis 2 repeats the creation account from ending to beginning, and that was a rather common 
trait of Hebrew literature. They would often, in the Hebrew literature, tell a story from beginning to end and then repeat the story from end to beginning. And so chapter 2 begins with man and then goes back to the beginning. Chapter 1 begins with nothing, basically, and then goes all the way to the end where God created man. How many times do you suppose in Genesis chapter 1 the statement, and God said, is found? Nine times. Nine times. And I'd like to read those particular statements. We begin with verse 3. Now first, we could look at verses 1 and 2, and it talks about in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But then we see in verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. So when God first created the, the heavens and the earth, they were not in the order that we observe them in today. I think we're to understand that from verses 1 and 2. But then God goes into organizing everything we see, the earth, the heavens, the universe, and so on. And so in verse 3, we find the first statement, Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Well, isn't that interesting? Remember what the Hebrews writer said in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3? Everything we see was formed by the word of God. We're talking about the power of God that we can think of it when you, when you take a, a, an electrical cord and you plug it into an outlet, the power of the electricity that is, that is fashioned into our home goes through that cord and runs the machine, whatever it is, or the piece of equipment or the appliance, or lights up the lights above us. But here, when God speaks with authority, his power is communicated and radiates through his word. So, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So there's evening and morning were the first day. But then in verse 6, again we read that statement. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. Now we understand we're talking about the waters, I believe, that we see in the face of the earth and beneath the earth, and then, of course, there's, there's waters in the sky. That's where we get the rain from. And so God created the firmaments. He divided the waters above from the waters below. But it begins with God said, God said. And then we look at verse 9. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And notice the next statement. And it was so. When God says it, it's going to be. Or it already is. Because the power of God goes through his word. It's communicated through his word, but then it also is established through his word. God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. 
And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then verse 11, then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, the fruit tree that, be- that yields fruit according to its kind, and whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. Wouldn't you like to be able to grow grass that quick? Or a crop without even having to sow the, the seeds in the field? God said, let there, let there be green grass. Let the, the, the fields bring forth produce. And it was so. Well, then we move to verse 14. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And so verse 16 says, God made two great lights the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the, the, the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day, over the night, to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, so the evening and the morning was the fourth day. But if you go back to verse the end of verse 15 again, and it was so. God's power through his word. In verse 20, then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Where did those birds come from? Where did the fishes of the sea come from? Where did all the sea creatures come from? God said, Let there be. And there was. In verse 24, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. God said, let it be, and it was. Again, where did the cattle come from? Where did the beasts of the field come from? Where did the, what we would call wild animals today, and all the other animals that creep upon the earth, where did they come from? God said, let there be, and it was so. And then verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image. Again, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over the, all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man. In his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And I believe we're to understand that that means that God created them with a spiritual being within their physical body, with a soul, with a spiritual essence. And that's how he created us in his own image, unique from everything else that he had created. But God said, let there be. We do not go into any kind, the the text does not go into any kind of of analytical uh, 
analysis of trying to find, uh, trying to explain God did this, create man or whatever. He said, let us create man. God said, and it was, and it was. In verse 29, and God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, of, uh, of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the field, to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every tree or every green herb for food, and it was so. Well, we can go back and trace back earlier in the first chapter in the creation account where God said, let there be green grass, let there be you know, uh, the, the fruits of the, of, of the trees and let there be the produce of the land and the seed that bears fruit and so on. But God said, and it was so. When God says something, we can take it to heart and we can have absolute confidence in what he says because his authority and his power is behind what he says. Now, what about when God tells us, this is how you're to live a faithful life. I have sent my son into this world to go to the cross to pay the price for the guilt of the sins of all mankind. I love you so much that I sent him to that cross. I love you so much that even while you were still sinners, my son died for you. Think about something that Jesus said. In John chapter 17, John chapter 17, the night of his betrayal, he's praying to the Father, and he says, and let me pick this out because I didn't, I didn't include this in these, these particular notes, but um, in verse, in, in, in verse, uh, in verse 4, he says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Now, of course, Jesus did not need to even learn obedience because he's God the Son. He came to this earth already knowing what he was going to do, what his mission was going to be. He already knew that he was going to fulfill that mission to the letter. But here on the night of his betrayal, he's, he's praying to the Father and he says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Now why do you suppose that was part of his prayer? Perhaps because God wanted it to be written down for us to learn from? And we can compare that with Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, where the Hebrews writer, referring to Jesus, said, Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author or source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. The authority of God is communicated through his word. The power of God also is exhibited through his word. Remember the Hebrews writer in Hebrews 4 and verse 12 again, 
God's word is living and powerful. And it has the ability actually to to pierce us all the way to the soul. And because we have that soul, we have a conscience, we understand right from wrong. And when we read his word, that can have a positive effect upon us to examine ourselves. Am I living up to God's word? Well, when we go back to Genesis, the early chapters, after God created man, man began to multiply upon the earth, and that was by God's instruction and blessing and design. But the Genesis account does not go very far, only to chapter 6, until we find that mankind, almost as a whole, with only a very, very few exceptions, and that would have been the household of Noah, had turned away from God. They had become evil and corrupt. If we look at verse 5 of chapter 6, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, oh, another one of those and God said statements. I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I'm sorry that I have made them. The Lord said, I will do this. We look at the Genesis account in in chapter 1, the creation account, and nine times we saw, and God said, and it was so. And here God says, or he said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man man and beast, creeping thing and, and birds of the air, for I'm sorry that I've made them. We know the rest of the story, don't we? God destroyed the earth. And all the animals, all mankind, with the exception of Noah and his family. Verse 11, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. It's not just one statement that we read in the sixth chapter about the wickedness of man how corrupt man had become, but at several different times it is emphasized. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. We look around us today and we think, boy, the world is in a horrible state of affairs right now. We might think, and I I get the impression that probably almost every generation has thought about that and said, this is the worst that, surely this must be the worst that it's ever been on the face of the earth. Our generation, we look around right now and we look at things going on and we see the devil having such a heyday in instigating all the evil that he's been instigating. And how could it be worse? In Noah's day, it was a lot worse difficult for me to really wrap my mind fully around and really grasp with depth that every body upon the face of the earth with the exception 
of those eight people in Noah's household were so wicked, so evil, so corrupt, so continually that God said, I'm sorry I have made man and I will destroy mankind from the face of the earth. In verse 13, another one of those statements. And God said, the end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And then God began giving Noah instructions about building an ark. Noah would spend over 100 years with his sons and family constructing that ark. And during that time, God was giving mankind an opportunity to repent. But man did not. When God said, I will destroy all mankind from the face of the earth, it was so. Where are we in our lives today, individually, before God? We need to understand that when God says it, it's going to be, or it already is. And I, I do pray and I hope that this series on the flood will help us not just to understand that we need to really pay attention to God's instructions for us along the lines of righteousness and faithfulness, godly living, but I really do pray that, that I can get across the flood story, the flood account in such a way that it will build your faith stronger. And you can say, yep, there's no question about it. God said it and it was. And it was for the purpose of eliminating evil upon the earth that had been so profound and abundant and far-reaching so corrupting upon through all of mankind at that time. God cleansed the earth. He said it, and it was. If you need to repent of your sins, God's waiting for you to do that. Second Peter 3 and verse 9. Are you ready to confess your faith in Christ as God's Son and your Savior and be baptized into him for the remission of your sins? Just as during those hundred plus years in the days of Noah, preparing that ark. God's giving you, he's giving mankind right now time to come to our senses and repent. We'd love to assist you with your baptism this very evening. If you need the prayers of the church, we're here. Just please step forward and let us know that you need us to pray with you and for you over something. Maybe it's some situation in your life or talk with us privately. If you need to study, we'll hear, we're here. Just ask us, we'll make that happen. If you need to come, our invitation song is number 795. And let us stand at this time and sing.